listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org. Keep your Bibles open to Colossians chapter 3, and it's good to be back with you after being gone for several weeks. And so Tracy and I have been, thank you for that, I appreciate that. Tracy and I have been recovering from COVID, and uh, Tracy's so blessed to have a nurse like me in her life. Uh, she just, <laughs> if she could be here to say that for, you, for her, but I'll say it for her. Hey, today is Tailgate Sunday. We're kicking it off college style. Typically, we do it Super Bowl, but to begin our fall and looking at all things. And, you know, I'm so proud of every Texas Longhorn fan that you actually wore your stuff today. You know, despite that embarrassment yesterday, I'm so proud of you guys. Should we just go ahead and give the trophy to Alabama right now? Yeah. I don't know that I like it, but it's looking that way. And of course, on Tailgate Sunday, I show up with a basketball school on my shirt. So, you know, in Kentucky, we think all of football season is but calisthenics to get ready for basketball. But we talk about Tailgate, and I know some of you in the room, you don't like football. I'm married, and Tracy is not a football fan. If I want to have the room to myself, I turn on a football game and almost everybody leaves. Nobody in my family will watch sports, uh, especially football. But think about this just for a minute, even though you're not football fans. Imagine if a 350-pound lineman comes off the sidelines at that late end of the game and he's about to kick the winning field goal. What would your reaction be? You'd laugh, a 350-pound lineman that guy's not supposed to be kicking field goals. You'd laugh if that little 150-pound kicker comes off the sideline and lines up where those big boys are supposed to play. We each have a role. If we're going to be successful, we have this role. And the Bible talks about the home team, our family, having a role. In fact, in Colossians 3, it talks about that. And it talks about our roles. And for the next few moments, I want to just walk through some of those basic instructions as we speak about the family. Now think carefully, even if you're not an athlete, you'll frequently hear this phrase among football and others, not not in our house. Not in our house. That phrase is a phrase that frequently says we're going to defend our home turf. No matter what, we cannot let the away team beat us here at home. And God in your home has given you a family And what we're going to see in Colossians chapter 3 is the basic instructions for each role. Look with me, beginning in verse 18, where the Bible gives the role of wives. It says, wives, submit to your husbands as fitting. What's those next phrase? As fitting, say it with me, as fitting to the Lord. Now, what's the one word in verse 18 that we bristle at? I don't think it's wives. I don't think it's husbands. There's a word there in verse 18 that when it's read... We hyperventilate. What's that word? Say it out loud. Submit. Submit. Yeah. We just, we do not like that. We think this is an old paradigm of marriage that needs to be discarded, that the Bible needs to be updated, like Windows or Apple needs an update in that piece. But now watch carefully. We've traded our old view of marriage for modern view of marriages. Oscar Love Curse. I found out what this was several years ago, was reminded of it, the Oscar love curse. The woman who wins the Oscar for best actress, what do these women have in common? Hal Berry, 
among others, including Hal Berry, you have, let me find my notes here, Barbara Streisand, Joan Crawford, Reese Witherspoon, Sandra Bullock. All of them, after winning the Best Actress, go through divorce. Now, none of us have perfect marriages, none of us have perfect homes, but the idea here is that what's in the text of Scripture is going to show us something if we revert back to this paradigm. So let me do something with you for the next moment. In verse 18, where the Bible calls for the wife to submit to the husband, let me clear the ground. If I'm to put a tent down, if you and I are camping out overnight, if I'm going to put a tent down, I've got to clear the ground to put the tent. Let me show you three myths. First myth regarding this. First myth, submission means I'm less. The idea that I would submit to someone else means that I'm less than that someone else. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse, 11, verse 3. Look at these words. The Bible says, I want you to understand that the head of every man is who? Say it. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Now, this verse is really important for us, and I want to pause here for just a second. I've used this analogy with you a lot. Hopefully, I've repeated this so many times that you could say it, just a sort of automatic tape running in your head. If you were to go to the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, and you were to bring a gold, silver, and bronze, most people think the Father gets gold, the Son gets silver, and the Spirit gets bronze. But the Bible teaches they're all gold. They're all equally God. And this verse tells us, even though Jesus Christ is God, he submits to God the Father. You're not inferior. You're not less when you submit to someone. Even Jesus Christ, God himself, submits to the Father. And when we get to eternity and we'll find out, perhaps the Father will tell us and the Son will tell us and the Spirit will tell us just exactly why the Son was chosen to be crucified and the Father was, quote, unquote, in charge. But you're not less that you would submit Women and men are equal in intelligence. And look at this second myth. Not only does submission only mean I'm not less, but secondly, submission means I'm abused. I need to pause here because frequently I'm learning in modern culture that the biblical teaching that a man leads his family has been weaponized. And it's used, it's used in certain circles that the man could abuse his wife. He could verbally abuse or physically abuse, sexually or emotionally abuse, even those who are in his family. So I want to be really strong and I want to be really clear at this. There's no way that you should be abusing anyone in your home. God does not sanction that whatsoever. And I would like to put a finger in your chest and ask that you'd act like a man. Now we all deal with anger. We all deal with people who are, we struggle with, but we're to never lift our hand to those whom we love. We're to never be around our children where they would wince even at us. And we're bigger as men. I'm 6'3ish, 6'4ish, and we're not going to discuss my weight here today. We're not into confessing sin, but all that being serious now, I'm not to go home and use my voice, use my my authority and all that in such a way to make my wife afraid of me. You're not to do that. And so if you're in a marriage today and you think that submission means I'm to keep taking emotional abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse, 
you need to get help. You need to go to someone and get rescued from that because that's not the biblical version of marriage. You say, well, pastor and I are supposed to suffer wrong? Not at all. Because what you're teaching, wife, what you're teaching, you're teaching the next generation. The laboratory to learn how to do family is generally the home I came from. That's the one I'm going to pick up from. And you don't want to teach your children that they're supposed to go through this. Submission does not mean I'm less. Secondly, submission does not mean I'm abused. And the CDC is telling us there's a lot of abuse. One in three women, one in four men have, according to the CDC, experienced rape, physical violence, stalking by intimate partner. One in 10 women in the United States have been raped by an intimate partner. You know what that statistic's telling me? There's too much pornography. Pornography is the ramp for that stuff. You need to get pornography off your phone, and you need to be a wholesome, clean, pure family. And then take that seriously. Here's the third submission myth looking at this. Submission means he thinks for me. Submission means he thinks for me. Colossians 3.18 says, wives, submit to the husbands as fitting the Lord. And again, what am I doing? I'm just trying to clear the ground, showing you what submission is not. And submission does not mean that he thinks for me. Now, I've been married 26 years, and I don't even have to ask my wife what she thinks. She just tells me, right? And if I forget it for an second, she tells me again and again. And again, it's a great marriage. I love it. I just wish she would share even more. But uh, submission does not mean that he thinks for me. Where do I get that from? Is it just my opinion? 1 Peter chapter 3. Now, the Bible, when it teaches that women are to submit to husbands, does so in Ephesians, does so in Colossians, and does over here in 1 Peter. Now, 1 Peter, we're about to read this together, and this is a unique situation. The husband, father, at least the husband, is a non-believer. The wife is a believer. Let's read it together. You ready? Likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, that they may be one without a word by the conduct of the wives when they see respectful conduct. Now, here's what would go on in Roman society. This was the typical thing. He was to make the societal, he was to make the decisions for the home. That's the Roman home, not the Bible home, but the Roman home. So that if he chose to worship the Roman polygods, she was to convert to his gods. That's the way it went. But look what the Bible's doing here. The most important decision, <coughs> the most, I apologize for my voice. The most important decision that anyone will make, choosing their God to follow, she's not to convert to his gods. She's to think for herself. She is to adopt a submissive attitude while at the same time digging in her heels and saying, I can't do that, sweetheart. I can't be that stupid as you are, right? Wouldn't say it that way. So what does it mean to submit back in Colossians 3.18? It means to order oneself under someone else. It means to submit is to follow authority. It's you're inclined to his leadership, that you're even delighted for him to take the leadership. Now, the Bible calls upon the husbands to lead and the wife to submit, and this is something you're to voluntarily do. If you're in a home where he's demanding that you submit, that doesn't work. And that is, may I say to you in the name of Jesus, absolutely stupid if you're a husband doing that. 
If you are a leader of anything demanding people follow you, you're not the leader. They'll lead, they'll follow a leader. And the Bible here is calling upon the wife to submit. Now may I say, some of you are looking at Colossians 3.18, some of the women here, and you're saying, Pastor, have you met my husband? Do you know what you're asking me to do? This man irritates me. He gets on my nerves. He doesn't deserve my respect. Look at the last end of the phrase in verse 18, as fitting to the Lord. When you submit to him, it's the Lord's instructions. And the Lord is watching this. And he will order. And I want to slow down the next two sentences. I want all the wives in here that call to do this difficult thing to submit. This isn't something you do from your strength. This is something you do and you're filled by the Spirit of God. This is something that you do in the Spirit of God just brings something in you to yield to Him, even when He's not leading. Now let me say the following. Husbands, it's hard to follow a parked car. I just want to make sure everybody in the room hears that. It's hard to follow a parked car. When you lead, you're to lead spiritually. You're to lead your home spiritually. And it's difficult to follow a parked car. In fact, have you ever done that? Have you followed someone? Have you ever tried to maybe go from Fort Worth to Waco, Fort Worth to Austin on 35, and you say, I don't know where I'm going, I'm just going to follow you. And if you have somebody in the lead car that's like 15 miles an hour smaller than the speed limit, What's that do to you? You want to get out of the car, go up there and strangle them, right? You want to take your car and you want to push them, get going. Now, what happens when you have someone that goes 15 miles per hour beyond the speed limit? You just say, that's enough. I can't, I can't do this. You are the leader, and so you have to determine that right pace. But you can't lead. You can't lead by being parked. And so, husbands, let me call upon you to lead your wife by doing the following, pray with her, to pray with her. We'll talk more about that in just a moment and get real practical. But some of the most sexy words that a man will hear from his wife are these three words, I respect you. Especially when you say it, not because the pastor says you say it, that you actually look at him and you say, I respect you. And wives, may I just say something here before I go on? It may be appropriate for you today to tell your husband, I'm sorry for not following you. I'm sorry that I've been disrespectful to you, even disrespectful in front of the children, that I've been unwilling to serve you in the way that God has called me, and I've used your weaknesses as an excuse for not submitting to your leadership. If that could come in your words and be genuine, you'd do something to him, even if he is a parked car spiritually. That'd be a conversation he would remember. First, the role of wives. Look at verse 19, the role of husbands. The Bible says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. The Bible calls upon the husband to love your wife and not to be harsh with them. Again, this is, we're talking about the home team. We're talking about how God has identified the roles. No 350-pound linemen are supposed to kick the field goal, and no kickers are supposed to be linemen. And so the Bible here calls upon us as husbands to love your wife and do not be harsh with them. 
Years ago, a woman got on a plane and she sat down next to a man who was smoking a cigar. And the flight attendant said to the woman, do you mind if he smokes? And she said, I detest smoking cigars. So the flight attendant got right away and moved the man and got things rearranged. And she came back to the woman and she said, I hope things are better now. She said, I've been married to that man for 30 years and I've hated every... <laughs> I cannot stand those awful cigars. I don't want you to get the picture that marriage is just, I'm going to grit my teeth and get through it. Now, there are moments, there are moments that you grit your teeth and get through it. That's with every relationship. But marriage is to be a time of flourishing. And the Bible calls upon the husband to love your wife. And the Bible instructs the husbands to do that. So what does it mean to love your wife? Well, meet Don. Don loves football, absolutely loves football. There's not a football game that he wouldn't watch. And his wife one day plops down next to Don. She puts her arms around him. She presses pause on TV. And she said, Don, do you love me more than football? And Don says, do you mean college or NFL? (laughs) Don't be Don. Don't be Don. That's not doing what verse 19. Again, let's go back. Not only can you lead, but look at this carefully. Here's a way to love your wife. Pray with her. I'm going to step in front of the pulpit. I want to speak directly to men. You may have the boldness to play football. You may have the courage to step in front of a bullet or step in front of a car for your family. But do you have the courage to pray out loud with your wife? You need to. You need to. You young men, if you're serious about dating a girl, you need to have the courage to pray with your date. Maybe not the first one. Might, might not. But this is an intimidating thing for men. As a young pastor, I would pray, lead services, all that stuff. But when I would come home, I would not pray. I didn't even think that I should pray. I would tell her, you pray, I'll pray. Probably we think that they know all of our faults. And why would they want to pray with someone like me? But I'm telling you, men, she wants to hear you pray with her. She wants to hear you pray. She wants to hear what's in your heart. And she wants to see that you're listening and that you pray for the things in her life. You first, if you're going to love her, you pray with her. And you don't have to pray a King James Pastor Scott prayer. You just pray in the beginning. You put some training wheels on. Lord, thank you for not having us kill one another today in Jesus' name, you know could be something like that. We pray, Lord, that you'd bless us, and you'll get going from there. Now, listen, if your family is going to go someplace, you are the leader. Everything that is alive has a head. If it doesn't have a head, it's dead. If it's got two heads, it's a freak. And God has a head for the home, and that is the husband. And you can't be a parked car. You can't be a parked car and lead spiritually. You're to pray for her. That's how you love her, verse 19. Here's another two words you would say, I'm sorry. Those are two powerful words. I am so sorry. When you say that, men, and you mean it, there's something, and you actually come back and talk about what you're sorry for. Here's some other words you could say. This would be a great Sunday to do this. Sweetheart, I love you. I'm thankful for you. You are a blessing in my life. I don't know where you'd be. I, excuse me, don't say that. I don't, know, I don't know where I'd be without you. 
I don't know where I'd be without you. I, I'd, I'd be a mess. You could even say, I'm going to start doing better. I'm going to take this seriously. You want to really have a great, sexy marriage? I said, sexy marriage, yes. You look at her and you say, just give me one thing this week to work on. One thing. One. Maybe you might even get her to hold up the number one. If she brings up a second one this week, just do one. And then you take that seriously. This is what it means to lead. And again, verse 19 talks about husbands. Verse 21 talks about fathers. Fathers do not provoke your children lest they be discouraged. Now, notice the text doesn't speak this to women. It's applicable to women. But again, the husband-father is the rudder of the home. The husband-father is the rudder of the home. And this is something that's so powerful. I want to say this. Fatherlessness is the pandemic of America. I'm just coming back off COVID. COVID's real. But the real pandemic is fatherlessness. Let me show you this. Fatherless children. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, one in four children live in a home without a father. 63% of youth suicides, fatherless home. 90% of homeless and runaway youth, fatherless home. 85% of children with behavioral disorders, fatherless homes. 70% of youths in state institutions, fatherless homes. 75% of adolescents in substance abuse, fatherless homes. To the young men in the room, when you take your clothes off with a young lady, a child may very well result. That's why you do not take your clothes off with a young lady until you put a ring on one of those finger. And you look at her, and if you are a young lady in the room, if you're not a fool, you will not take your clothes off until you have that ring from one another, and you have got a character man on the other side who you know will take care of the future children. And that will be powerful. Every public school teacher in America, within about three or four weeks, can figure out which homes don't have the fathers there. They can just figure it out. We need a generation of men to be fathers. And you say, Pastor, I'm in a single home, raised by single parents. I'm a single mom, single dad. What hope does this give for me? Well, I married Tracy Rogers, who at two weeks of age, her father dies as a result of Agent Orange, Vietnam vet. And so her mother never dates again. And by the grace of God, she turned out to be a fantastic young lady. And so there are miracles. Great things can happen. And this God that we serve, you know, he resurrected his son on the third day. So I think he can figure out single homes if he needs to. But men, you are the leader. Now, let's go back to Texas a moment ago. The coach at Texas, he gets embarrassed by Arkansas. And I hope that he has great success there. But what's going to happen in about two or three years when that old boy doesn't turn Texas around? What are they going to do? They're going to wave bye-bye to him, Right? He's going to be knocking on my door looking for a job, wondering if he can be a pastor someplace. They fire the coach when the team's not doing well. Dad, husband, you are the coach. And we don't need you to step in front of a bullet. We don't need you to stop a car. We need you to be a godly man for about 20, 30 years and go home every night and take care of whatever needs to be taken care of. And I'm telling you, it'll be a blessing. I'm on the other end of some of that. 26 years married, 21, my oldest son, 20, my daughter, 17. We do not have stained glass in my home. We do not have organ music when I come in the back door and they don't play Amazing Grace and not everybody's praying and chanting with smoke and all that. There's yelling and people are not doing homework and all the things that go on in the family. But I've made so many mistakes, but I can tell you by the grace of God, there's so many mistakes I've avoided. 
And I'm blessed because I'm 26 years married. And I'm blessed as I look at those kids now into their early 20s and see some of the good things that have happened. Dad, you need to lead. You are the coach. So here's some things the leader of the home needs to happen. The father, your children need to hear you pray out loud. That should be a checklist item. Secondly, your child deserves, you hear, deserves to hear you talk about the Lord. The things out of this book, out of Scripture, they need to hear that from you. They need to realize as you come home, you hear the sermon, you're reading the text, and some of the things that are moving through your heart, and you talk about some of those things in your life and how it makes decisions. Your child deserves to hear you share your faith. That whole who you're, who's your one moment. Who is your one, Dad? You are the leader of the home. I am the leader of the home. Doesn't mean that I'm, everybody's going to do it my way and I'm number one. It means I serve everybody. I serve everybody. And I share the gospel. And as a dad, as a spiritual leader, now that I've got them out of the house, they get a phone call from me. They get a text from me. Hey, where did you go to church? Sometimes I get a creative about how to ask that. But even though I'm paid to go to church, that's what you think. I want to make sure people are in the house of God on Sunday. That's what it means to be a leader. Your child deserves for you to put God first in your finances. I told the 8 o'clock crowd, those grandfathers, I can't wait to that day when I get all those kids out of my house and I get that pocket full of cash. Those grand, you know, old men, they have that pocket full of cash. They reach out. And I think, where does that come from? I haven't seen that yet, right? But when you pull out that money and you have that in front of them, you talk to them. God comes first when it comes to the finances. When the preacher talks about it, I'm a paid, I'm a paid person. They don't believe me. But when you talk about it and you have a faith story of how God takes care of you, of how when you put God first with your finances, God did miraculous things. And then they need to hear, Dad, from you how you take care of the poor, how the people on the fringes of society. Yes, I know you work for your living. I work for my living, but we are blessed. You know why I've got a college education? Because God happened to put a man in my life who said, you will not have an option other than go to college. He was very intimidating. I'm not a self-made person is what I'm trying to tell you. I'm here by the grace of God. And so all those things, that's the checklist. Sharing the gospel, putting God first in your conversation, in your finances, among the poor and needy, having them hear you pray. And here's the last one. Every child needs their father to bless their mother. Now, she may be the most wicked, awful thing walking in three counties, but you don't need to say it out of your mouth. You need to honor her and bless her. And if you don't have anything good to say about her, what's the old saying? Keep your mouth shut. You need to bless their mother you need to honor their mother that's what a real man we're fighting a war we just finished a war we were embarrassed by what's the problem with the taliban they don't know how to treat women we've got a book that calls upon us men of how to treat women how to treat the generation this is the design this is how god has called us these are basic things 350 pound linemen don't kick field goals and this is what god's called us to do here's a third and last the role of children. Verse 20. We looked at verse 18, looked at 19, verse 21. Now come back to verse 20. Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. Mom and dad, dad and mom, your children must learn to obey you. 
If Junior would not obey you, then he's going to struggle to obey his teacher. If Junior would not obey you, he will struggle to obey his principal. If Junior will not obey you, he will struggle to obey his coach. If Junior will not obey you, he will struggle to obey the police officer. If Junior will not obey you, he will struggle to obey the judge. And if Junior doesn't learn to obey you, he will struggle to obey the prison warden. The lesson is quite basic. You are the first authority figure in their lives. Doesn't mean you have to be domineering. Doesn't mean you have to be ugly about it. But for their good and their happiness, they need to know there's guardrails in life and you are authority. Stuart Pendle, our cross-church pastor, shared an illustration with me several years ago that I was reminded of this week. He was serving as a pastor up in Oklahoma in a small community, several miles apart, just everything right there together. He was the community chaplain for the jail. And down the road was the rescue mission, the city rescue mission. So just four blocks apart, prison, city rescue mission. City rescue mission had two rules, two, two. You must shower and there's a curfew. We deal with some of that in our home. You must shower. We have to go over that frequently. And when those men, and sometimes women would be released from that jail, they had the opportunity to have a hot night, uh, it would be a hot shower and a night in a bed, but they had to obey those two rules. And he said, it's remarkable how many people would sleep under a bridge because they would not obey those two rules. Moms and dads and children, this is what God called you to do. This is how to have a successful, happy life, to listen to the voice of authority over you. Because you will always have voices of authority over you, no matter what station in life you're in. Even our president, President Biden, has authority. We all have an authority before Almighty God. You know, when Tracy and I first bought our house, some of you have heard me tell the story. Right over here in South Fort Worth, 1998, paid $63,500 FHA loan. Man, I didn't know what I was doing. Had no clue what I was doing. A year later, we brought home our first, and we had this 1,500-square-foot house, three bedrooms, two baths, pier and beam foundation, and I had all these cracks in the drywall. We didn't like that. So we got Jerry. Jerry came in, and he cut out all the drywall, all the problems. But you know the problem we found? It wasn't in the drywall. For some of you who were experienced, where was the problem? Foundation. Mr. Mays? You don't have a drywall issue, you've got a foundation issue. You've got cracks in the drywall, but really what you and I have is not a drywall issue, it's not a family issue, it's an authority issue, it's a foundation issue. And you've got to get the foundation right. So young men in this room, you want to find a young lady one day and you're going to want to put a ring on her finger. Are you man enough to do all the things that we've talked about and some more? It's a blessing to do all of it. And you're honored to be their father and honored to be her husband. Can you do that? You can by the Spirit of God. Then up around verse 14 is something that I should have included. It talks about the forgiveness issue. Again, these aren't perfect families. These are blended families. And I don't have stained glass. I don't have organ music. There's lots of issues in my family. I've got issues I'm going into this week in extended family. We've all got issues in our family. But there's forgiveness. You know where forgiveness is powered by? It's not the Energizer Bunny. It comes from the cross of Jesus Christ. That's where it comes from. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, 
you've given us this very basic biblical teaching of how to order our family. And I want to say, Lord, with all that I have in me about my family that you've given me, not in my house. I don't want this chaos in my house. I don't need a reality TV. I need a boring home. (laughs) I need a home, Lord, of grace and kindness, of forgiveness. And Lord, I pray that we'd have lots of homes just like that. Homes all in this community. And by the grace of God, you'd be working in that through counseling and through ministry and through love and mentoring, Lord, and the forgiveness that happens. And there's so many here today who've experienced brokenness in their home, but I pray that you'd speak words of hope into them and teach them, Lord, that they can begin a fresh new way on this Sunday by the power of the Spirit of God. Of course, the very first thing we have to do is say yes to Jesus Christ. You are our authority. Your son said on this earth, all authority has been given to me. And so, Lord, let all of us in this room today say yes to your son to receive the forgiveness that comes through the cross of Jesus. Lord, would you bring your grace in this place and empower us with passion to live in a fresh new way, to bring blessing to those we love, and to bring counsel and mentoring and godliness to those around us. Lord, give us great homes in 76180. Give us great homes, godly homes. Give us a generation of teenagers and children who know you and are nurtured in your word and our fear of the Lord. We thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org.